Welcome to Story and Rain Talks, the Story and Rain magazine podcast. I'm Tamara Rappa, founder, editor-in-chief, and your host. Join me here as we dive deep and go behind the scenes with creatives from all fields, exploring the origins for game-changing ideas and careers, and so much more. It's our expert curation of conversations with those who are pushing culture forward, and we're inviting you to get inside the story. This week, I sit down with actor and artist Jemima Kirk to talk creativity, collecting, painting, inspiration, and more. With our latest cover star, I discuss her deeply artistic upbringing and how her experiences at schools St. Anne's and RISD have shaped her. Jemima talks about the time when she learned to make art for different reasons and why dreams shouldn't be trusted. She shares deeply personal insights into her sisters Lola and Domino and her perspective on what it is and isn't to be both a mother and an artist. On the podcast for us, Jemima colors in the intimate corners of her studio space and the look and feel of her home. We talk about who has collected her work, having artists as friends, life as a single parent, eating ice cream for breakfast, and enjoying time with her children. We get to the essence of why children's costumes have a cherished place in her heart and discuss her vintage and antique children's collection, Orphan Darling, and her series, Scamp. Jemima gets into painting two people, her favorite piece of work to date, and setting her art free. We wrap with the vintage magazines and catalogs she keeps collecting, have a chat about pants versus dresses, and how she's learned to practice self-care these days. And then there's the how and the what of her famous lip look, including a current favorite color, and all of the old films she's revisiting and why. Listen in for this and more. Here's our latest with a true fave and Story and Rain cover star. Our conversations with creatives continue as Story and Rain talks to the amazing Jemima Kirk. This podcast is being recorded during the actor strike. And so it's with extreme pleasure, actually, that I get to focus our talk with Jemima Kirk on all the rest. And there's so much rest. I want to start with your early life, Jemima. What are your earliest memories of art and creativity in your family environment? Well, everyone's kind of an artist in my family, which is it's like the inverse of a family that wants their kids to grow up to be lawyers and doctors. We were all supposed to grow up to be artists, I suppose, which could be worse. But but yeah, my mom had really good taste and uh, loved stuff, very much a collector like me. And I suppose that's, I have to admit, that's where I get it from. Well, that was my next question for you was, do you ever think about how your parents might have influenced your own outlook, your own traditions, your own tendencies as an artist? And as a creative person in general. Well, yeah, I mean, they really fucked me up. So, <laughs> so I mean, they, really, I mean, they kind of made, made an artist out of me. Uh, I mean, that's not true. That's not true that every artist is fucked up. But uh, my mother wanted me very much to be a painter. And so she actually let me, she gave me lots of books to look at. And I did actually really like them. And she once had me paint an entire picnic table. She wanted them all copies of Matisse's. She wanted me to directly copy them, which at the time I thought was really a strange thing to do and I didn't want to do it. But now I realize it was, it's actually one of like the best practices you can do is to directly copy from another artist visually, you know, as a painting or drawing. 
And how old were you? How old were you when you did that? You did that very early on. I was probably 15, 16 when I did that. But younger than that, I had my own little studio where I did collages. It was really just like a unused wine cellar in a very, very old house. Love it. But where's that picnic table now? No. I mean, I don't think it was very well sealed, to be honest. Well, how genius, though, that there's a, a was a picnic table with all of your art on it. I mean, I'd love to. It's a picnic table covered in Matisse portraits. Oh, my gosh. I'm dying to see that picnic. Table. I know. I I wonder if I can find it. I have a picture of it. You should, I, I would be digging for it. You grew up in New York City and you went to St. Anne's School. Do you remember kind of the what's and the why's of the decision to go there? I remember personally exactly how I chose to go. I went to the United Nations International School here in the city. And I remember kind of what led up to that. Do you remember what led up to that decision for you to go there? I mean, I don't think I had much say in it. I just liked the sound of it, you know, and at that age, I feel, well, for me, at least my parents were choosing, my mother was choosing the schools yeah. for us. And then it was, she loved that school and she made it sound really great, which it was. And I wanted to go. It sounded like there wasn't much work to do. <laughs> How do you describe the school? How do you describe St. Anne's? When you think about it now, you have all this perspective, right? Yeah. Well, I think it's a very specific type of kid that goes there that it's right for, very specific. And I think that a lot of times their motto is sort of, let's, you know, in uh, reinforce and hone what you love and what you can't you do well, rather than focus on what you can't do, which sounds great, but it's actually doesn't, for, for a kid who is already, who is precocious and knows how to talk, you know, with confidence and who is artistic already, there's going to be, there are areas in of our brain that are not well exercised and we don't like doing things that we don't want to do. So I remember at St. Hans being able to, if I didn't like the essay thesis, I could pick my own. And I think that a kid who is very regimented and, and who, who is, manages their time well and wants to push themselves beyond their own you know, abilities, then it's great. Send a type A kid there. Don't send a free spirit. Not that I was a free spirit by any stretch, but don't send an artsy kid there. How much of your experience there, you know, the work, the philosophies, the friendships would go on to influence you in later years? And how do you think? That's a good question. Well, yeah, I think that they were very supportive of who I was and who the individuals were. I mean, the meet one of the interviews to get in, I know is it's a tricky interview. Not that I, you know, at the time I didn't know it, but they're looking for, I think it seems like a, a particular character and a particular sort of voice and someone who sort of takes up space in a, in the, in their own very individual way. Do you remember what your interview was like? No, I, I don't. I remember. I can visualize it. I don't remember what the, what the questions were, but I, I remember it being pretty casual and it influenced me. I suppose I had to learn late in life how to do things I don't want to do, you know, and push through being uncomfortable with, you know, because something's difficult, you know, in life you don't get to say pick and choose, nor do you in college most most of the time. You went to RISD, 
what were you like in college, Jemima? How were you spending your time? Who were you hanging out with? I was spending my time most as, as often as I could. I was going back to New York <laughs> because I think that there's something. It's very difficult for a New York kid, New York City kid to go to any other town. It all looks weirdly colonial and strange. You know, it's like foreign. You know, like, is this, like, you got to be kidding, right? You know, that's kind of how I felt. My my friends and I all talk about that. That's the experience that we all had in college in one way or another. Yeah. No matter where we were, it's sort of like, wait, I'm the fish. I'm like a super fish out of water here. Like I'm, yeah. I always say that my college was was a social education and not so much an academic education. It's like I would have never seen that slice of America had I gone to my college. So I completely understand. So yeah. you were just like there doing your college thing. And then like, when am I coming home every yeah. weekend? Yeah. And on the weekends, I would go home to see my real friends. I mean, I, I did have friends there. Right. And I, did some, I, I think only until, and sometimes they came, they wanted to come into the city, you know? Why wouldn't they? To real, the real city, you know? Um, and it was maybe junior and senior year that I actually settled in and, you know, even in high school, I didn't go, I barely went to any, uh, parties, house parties. I didn't sit, I rarely sat on stoops with forties. I, I was always trying to be older than I was and always not intentionally. I just did, I was sort of apart from the crowd and. Maybe I, it was like, you know, that's one of those things that's in uh, really just insecurity that looks like grand, grandiosity. Mm, mm. Um, that in a, and it was a similar thing in college. But what I, I did, I guess, I guess I really learned how to make art from a place that isn't just intuitive and isn't just from desire or inspiration, but because it's work. So are you sort of saying that for the first time in your life, we were in this school structure that had you creating art, you know, in ways that you hadn't been able to do before? Right. And, and, and it opened my mind up beyond the beautiful and beyond aesthetically pleasing. And I, I kind of wish I could get back there a bit because I was making stuff that didn't, you know, that, that wasn't necessarily that where I was experimenting with things that weren't had nothing to do with the result, but then the result came, you know, as something that completely really surprised me, you know, and that it was good, you know, and, but it wasn't something I intended to make. And, and it, that's a big lesson I learned that your intention, the more specific you get with your intention of what you want to do before you've made it, especially with painting, visual art, anything really, the more like you are to miss the mark. You know, you have to sort of be open to working with what's happening. You know, let's say in filmmaking, writing songs, painting, you know, you can't be stick to always stick to your blueprint because then just go and do illustration. You know, in painting, we we always have made fun of illustration, you know, because it was the lesser form, which obviously it isn't. It was just it, you work for someone else, you know. You're creating for somebody else. Yeah, it's an assignment-based art form. We were talking about being in New York and making that transition in Rhode Island, the Rhode Island School of Design, where you went to art school. Who do you choose to surround yourself with? Is it important to be close to other artists, artists of all kinds? Or does that not matter? Yeah, 
what is your thought? Well, um, I think I think it's important to be around other artists, and I I, I don't know that many painters. Possibly because I'm intimidated by them. You know, I'm intimidated by other painters because it's not that I'm competitive. I think it's a sort of self-esteem thing, you know, a fraud, fraudulence thing, you know. And so we round other painters together. Maybe they're, they're they're the real deal. They paint every day. But, you know, I have kids and that's the whole other conversation. But I don't think it has to be. I, I The people I, I am friendly with, they're all, they are all artists, but not necessarily painters. And that's the other thing I learned in art school, especially in painting. I learned that you never have to stick with one medium, right? You don't have to, to even be taken seriously. I mean, there are so many artists that make everything from, you know, stop motion to, you know, installation to drawing to whatever. And, you know, whatever creative intention I have might be better suited to some other form. And in painting, for some reason, it was the only um, major where you could really do anything and you know, because painting was simply imagery, right? It was simply two-dimensional. And then even that we took to other places, you know, it was, it was the essence of a painting or something. I don't know. It was, it was, it, it, you just didn't have to paint depending on your teacher. Right. I mean, after sophomore year, that is. We were talking about your family from a deeply creative family, you know, through and through. How would you describe each of your sisters and and how they inspire you? Domino is a very, let's say, she's like a very gentle, uh, soft-spoken, sort of soothing presence. Very nice, right? Like sweet sweet to people i wouldn't say she's like i wouldn't say any of us are are gregarious or ingratiating or overly friendly i think we've all we all share a sense of directness and when we don't aren't interested in something we we don't have much patience for <laughs> nice cities which i know can can go awry sometimes but domino has a way of, of seducing people with this it's this kindness she's also a doula so she has that it's not kind of softness and um although she is very generous and she is also a a musician and i was inspired by her in choice to not stick with music and to go into some a completely unknown world not even in in the world of art, visual art, right, or any. Other. And then Lola, Lola, Lola's fun. Lola's my younger sister, and she is an actor and a country musician for now, at least. And her too. I mean, like talk about you know doing a career change. <laughs> it's great. It's great. She has so much. She's got confidence, which she it's is completely well earned and she's always been I was really uh, quite not very nice to her as a teenager <laughs> and I, I really regret that because she was such a cool kid but I also think and I'm not I don't, I'm not saying I'm tooting my own horn here I but I could go back and do it again and I'd be much nicer to her but she doesn't give really care what people think about her and I that's more than I can say for myself and lots of people and I think that might have been because I was such an asshole to her 
Why do you think, what do you think it was about the two personalities? She just had, instead of letting me, you know, uh, sort of crush her or or let me stamp out her self-esteem when she was younger by making fun of her with my friends, she just decided, she just played it off cool always (laughs) from like the age of eight. He also had a very like short hair, like cut like a, like a little boy until she was seven years old. And so she didn't ever go through a pretty girl thing phase. And if she did, it, it changed, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't, she wasn't, she was very feminine and masculine. she was both. Has having children also affected your perspective when it comes to your work? Yeah. Art, uh, painting art or any art form is essentially functionless, right? But we don't need a painting. We don't need a film. We don't, none of us, we don't need any of this stuff to survive. If, and, you know, if we're talking on a purely pragmatic logistical level, right? And so when I had kids and, you know, there were times where I was like, is the, what's the point? Why am I making my life so hard? by trying to balance, you know, being a, a mother and being a, an artist or having a career, like, why don't I just make it simple and just be a mother? But I can't, I tried doing that. And in fact, you're sort of forced to do that from the moment you have a baby because you have to be there for almost a year and not do those kinds of, you're not really working on your purpose in life. You can't do that. And so most new mothers I know they first live an identity personality, but identity crisis. Not like crisis, but just like, like I'm just pointless. I'm just a, a, a maid and I and a, a vessel that yeah. delivered this thing. And I tried to will change, but like it sucks. You lose it to lose that time. And I think I there aren't many female artists I can think of, but there are a few who could do it both. Right. That's what, I mean, no one can balance it. But that who would advise it or who would say that they inspire each other? I haven't experienced that. But I think it was Marina Abramovich who said that being a woman and having kids and be, being an artist, it would be impossible. And I completely understand that. And for now, it has, it limits you. It just limits what you can do. And then they get older. And I had luckily, you know, I had my kids young. I had plenty of time to experiment. Yeah. I want to go back to surroundings for a second. You're a visionary or collector. Mm. Can you describe the mood and the tone and the vibe for what makes you feel comfortable and alive at home? Mm. I'm sure that's really important. Yeah, it is. It's important, but it's not always possible. You know, I had I live in a small, quite a small house. And the thing about living in a small house and being a collector is your house is always the mess. Even when at the moment it's it's tidy, it's a mess again because I just had like I'm one of those people who still hasn't learned to put a dish in a dishwasher. It goes in the sink until the sink is unusable. Right, which is my sink right now, actually. Yeah, it's awful. I just I don't know why I I won't do. I just won't do it. And you know, my kids come when they when they're over and they. Just most of the time, they they the moment they get in, they kick their shoes off, which goes halfway into the living room, and they've got a jacket on the couch, and they get a blanket, and they're gonna watch a movie, and then they want to go get a snack. The doors left open, their crumbs trailing from the from the pantry to the couch, and then I'm 
whatever it is, backpacks all over the place. So I like, I like tidy. I like neat and tidy, but I love stuff. I love clutter, but storage is clutter. I'm the same way. I like neat and tidy and I like stuff. It's like a very weird, I've never really thought about it quite like that before. Because I, you probably value your stuff. I value, I love stuff. Right, right. It's beautiful to me and I want to see it there. And I, so the cluster doesn't bother me. It's the untidiness, which doesn't sort of, which doesn't enshrine the object well. It just makes it look like mess, you know? Yes. So. Yes. We got a chance to speak earlier this year and I asked you a bit about your studio mm. and you described it as quiet, one window, good light, raw space, rats and bats. <laughs> is your studio at <laughs> is your studio at home or out of the home, Jemima? I wasn't sure. Absolutely my home. It's a very raw space with exposed ceiling. And when I say exposed, I mean you can see to basically the sky. I mean, it's just it's just looks like there was probably a room up there at one point, because there's you know, all these two by fours, old rotting two by fours, and then like a big space before the roof. And yeah, there's there's definitely vermin. I mean, ideally, I would I would like to work at home. I've done both, and there's times it's worked out working at home, and times it's just impossible. And there's time like having a studio in the house. I mean, yeah. And when you have young kids, it's impossible. And and then there are times where I'm at home and I can't leave the house to go to the studio and it's late and I have a thought and I want to go there for a second. And I'm like, wouldn't that be great if I could just go downstairs or up or whatever. Right. right. So I've had a studio space for six or seven years now, a few blocks from my house. That was by convenient. I had the studio, I'm sorry, I had the studio space before I had the house. Okay. I moved into the neighborhood. I moved into the neighborhood after. Interesting. After I'd been at the studio for a couple of years. Like a year. Yeah. Yeah. It was just luck. What are some of the other items that you like to have in your space or rituals that go along with painting? Like, Are you drinking tons of coffee? Are you listening to music? Is there anything else that you're doing to get into that place? Yeah, it's well, I'm doing a lot of writing now, so I'm doing less painting. I do love to draw at the moment. I was going to ask you what you're working on right now. I'm writing. I'm doing lots of writing. It's not it's not anything with a shape yet, but it's multiple things. I I've always written and um I write scenes sometimes. I write I write poems, I write a memory, I write a, a list and uh, a letter that I would never send, stuff like that. But and I, but I would do that in my studio, you know, because it just to sort of remember that it's all the same thing. And my studio has a, you know, has that great, great energy that makes you feel like you, you nowhere else exists somehow. It's so quiet. It's so strange. Yeah. And my any I don't have a ritual except procrastinating. And I, I am such a bad procrastinator lately. And it's well, it wasn't always. I think we go through phases depending on what's going on in our lives, how stressed we are, or how you know understimulated we are, or overstimulated, dissatisfied. So I'm 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 doing a lot of procrastinating and it's like eating up at my time. And before I know it, I have an hour before something, you know. And you're in- you're in your studio, though. You're procrastinating there or you're... Yeah. 
I procrastinate there too. I do. I, <laughs> I, but it's still, what I like to do is I, I, I love to, I collect a lot of old magazines and catalogs and pamphlets and newspapers and anything like that. And I love looking through that stuff. And I'll look through that stuff for ages. And then sometimes I'll look through a coffee table book of like a of a painter. And then before I know it, I'm cutting out cutting out pages from this, you know, fashion book and putting them up on the wall and or I'm, you know, organizing my brushes and so but you need that kind of that kind of runway sometimes. Yeah. Which is I mean, no, it's very hard to just put pen like hit the ground running. Sometimes we have to. I well, I could can't even imagine. It just takes so hard to conjure and to get into a place and to like feel relaxed. I don't know. I'm not not a painter by any means, but I understand. No, but that writing is even worse because writing is it's only everything is the words, right? So with painting, it's like I can make a big old mess and just keep going and it be completely something different, you know. But with writing, you do have to sort of have a place that you're going. You know, you can't, I don't know. Are you preparing a book? I don't know yet. It could be. I would never write an autobiography because I don't don't feel feel like I'm, I don't really have a grasp. I'm not far away enough from my life and the things that happen to really even know what's interesting and what's not, what's worth telling or what is and. I was recently interviewing the artist Ashley Longshore for a story that we're doing on her. And she told me she wanted to buy one of your paintings, but I believe the one that she wanted was sold. I think I must have been telling her that we we're just about to launch your cover story. Have you ever been surprised? Well, do you know which one it was? Oh, I'll ask her. Yeah, well, it's probably one that is sold, except I'm going to ask her. Her her new gallery, Jemima, is steps from where I am. So her new gallery is on is at 43 Crosby Street, and yeah. that's like two blocks from where I am on Howard and Lafayette. So we did a story with her, and she's like, actually, she's like, I was trying to buy one of her pieces, and her, and it was sold. Mm. My question to you is, and I'll ask her which which it was. We didn't get to that. Mm. Have you ever been surprised or delighted by who is collecting you? You know, on occasion, it's mostly people I don't know, I've never met. Maybe some, a lot of surprisingly sort of business people. You know, I think who want to build a collection, or young business people who you know want to. Yeah, sort of invest. Um, I sold the painting. This was a strange one of my daughter. The first, well, second painting I'd done of her, and she's three years old. And I sold it to someone who, one of the top, the heads at Facebook. It was really strange. This guy at the top of Facebook wants a picture of my kid. Yeah, I mean, he had a good eye, I guess. Mm -hmm. But then there was one person who bought a painting of Lena, Lena Dunham, and he's he's an art dealer, and he bought it and he donated it to the Brooklyn Museum. Oh, we love that. Yeah, it's really cool. Pretty cool. So they have that somewhere. That's so cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it ever difficult for you making art and then setting it free? Do you get attached to what you create? It depends. Like if, if it's my one, only the ones that are really good of my kids. 
if it, I sell paintings of my kids all the time, but if it's one that where I'm like, oh, that was like where it took like 20 minutes and it was just like every line was right, that is, is, has been hard. I probably, I've hung on, I've hung on to probably three pieces of, of, of my work. I was going to ask you if you have a favorite painting to date or does it not work that way? Maybe it doesn't work that way. Or do you? Yeah, I, I have the paintings that I, I have a few favorites that I will never happen again, you know, and I actually had a weird assignment a few, a couple of years ago where someone was really bummed that they, that a painting of mine was sold and they asked me to recreate it. And I've never done that, but I did it just for the sort of sake of it. Like, you know, how like Michael Haneke remade Funny Games. He did one in 1997 in, uh, in Germany. And then he did one with Michael Pitt and Naomi Watts. And he did it line for line, shot for shot, exactly the same. And so that's what made, made me think of. I was like, okay, let's see if this is. It was so difficult because I don't like to paint from photographs. So I was painting from the painting. And uh, I, could, I decided I couldn't do it. And I asked if I could eventually just paint three. It was a three sisters. If I could just choose three different sisters. And I, that, that one came out great. I like painting two people together the most. That's usually the best, my best ones. Why do you think? Because there's, it's a lot easier for something to be happening to create something on like a like a an energy in the painting whereas like because there's a relationship between the two people it doesn't matter how you paint them there if they're standing side by side with their arms down that's a there's still there's still a relationship between them and it always ends up that people are their eyes are going round and round the canvas looking at the different there's so much to look at when there's two people or how are they sitting with each other and usually i don't pay attention to the to the ratio to the um I don't have much spatial awareness when I'm painting two people and I'll end up with you know limbs that just aren't there you know because I don't have the space but it doesn't matter because they were so you know it just makes them look even more close somehow uh yeah where can people find your art for sale currently at Sergeant's and are you showing anytime soon Jemima you can find it at Sergeant's Daughters, the gallery, my gallery, and I'm not showing anything anytime soon. The paintings I have right now aren't a series, you know, the stuff I've been working on is just sort of one-offs that I'm enjoying doing, but I'm not, a series isn't coming to me yet, and eventually it will. But right now I'm just sketching, and, you know, while my kids watch their screens, I can get them to be really still and get look up at me every five seconds and, you know. That's the only good thing about them being on the screens. I was thinking about the fact that you have such a love of and such a connection to and tie to fashion. Have opportunities arisen to kind of collab your artwork with fashion brands or people trying to turn your art into textiles or that kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, once, yes, I've been approached to do that. I did uh, one. Oh, yes. I did something for Le Semaine, was it? And it was a blanket for Planned Parenthood. 
and they wanted me to create an image related to women's reproductive rights. And I did a painting of myself having sex. And then I put a quote, I mean, with someone else. And then a quote, I, there was a quote on it. It has a blanket. It's kind of cool. My mom bought it. I don't think she knows. Oh, your mother bought it? Yeah, she bought one. I didn't tell her. I didn't tell her it's me, you know. <laughs> I know that your painting series, Scamp, features the vintage children's clothing that you've been collecting practically all your life. Is that right? I read that. Since I was 12, yeah. Since you were 12. Um, can you tell us everything about Orphan Darling? <laughs> yeah. My mother loved vintage and antiques and oftentimes leave us in the car while she went and did that as many parents did in the 80s you know and she would go antique shopping because we'd rather not because it was boring but actually I was the one who always wanted to go in and she would be buying something big like couch or furniture and I was always looking at the props you know the books or the or the um the bookends or cigarette case or uh, whatever it is or medals war medals i found some of the coolest stuff and so she would be you know out of the appreciation for me being in there with her for an hour or two and waiting on her she would buy me something something small like that and so that's kind of where it started and i do remember i think it was a t-shirt i saw the first thing i bought was a t-shirt a mighty mouse t-shirt from the 1950s that had a cape on it also made of of cotton like a t-shirt cape and the front said here comes mighty mouse there goes mighty mouse on the back and um it was like the coolest thing ever and i asked her to buy it and she's like what are you gonna do with it i'm like i don't know she's like you should just hang it i was like yeah just hang it and so i just started hanging them around and i i moved on to at one point mainly for scamp i started really getting into collecting costumes kids costumes halloween costumes dance costumes circus costumes homemade recital costume you know they're they're my favorite what do you think it is about these vintage costumes that has resonated with you i mean since you were a child until until now i think it changed i think i think it i think i mean inherently there's a nostalgia in childhood and then again in old clothing right i mean already when we're buying a loved piece of clothing or a used piece of clothing it's got someone else's energy and it. it's got a history to it right it's been loved maybe it hasn't but there's it's traveled to get to you somehow yeah. and with a child's clothing it's much less sort of ominous and ambiguous it's sort of depending on what you find there's especially if it's homemade or something it has a preciousness because it's it's always it's such a tender object, right? Especially if it's been used and loved and maybe handed down through four different kids or something. And then the the costumes, you know, because I collect all this ephemera and and newspapers and old books and stuff, I get really excited when I see things like that in the flesh, right? And I one when I was doing my first pop up with this stuff and people wanted to buy something. I'm like, I've never seen one of these. Isn't it so cool? I noticed they didn't know what I meant. I'm like, I'm saying that I've only seen this costume like in a book of like one of the Ice Capades pamphlets. And right now I'm seeing it in the flesh. Like, isn't this cool? And like, look at this, uh, there's a name like Lucy Barron is inside, you know? 
And so when you see those old pictures of like 40 different girls all wearing the same thing and they have no identity because they're probably dead or something, and now you have one of their dresses, is kind of a remarkable thing. Just after our cover shoot earlier this year, I had asked you how you get your best ideas. And you said driving, cooking, cleaning, arguing, falling asleep, talking to people, listening to people, watching movies, showering, but not dreams. The narrative or even the subtext of a dream is not to be trusted. What do you think happens when we dream that should be trusted or replicated in our art? It's, um, there's some things that you don't mess with. I'm not saying that dreams are vastly important. I'm actually going to say that dreams are given too much importance, I think. I think that they're taken much too literally sometimes, and I think some people see them as foreboding or and they're really not that at all it's really hard for us to know what a dream means and so I don't pay much attention to my dreams to begin with but there's but also sometimes they're so they're so amazing but it never occurs to me to paint it the same way I don't I don't mess with nature right nature is amazing right and I have had experiences in nature that I would never try to recreate. Also, nature, like dreams, bores the shit out of me, right? I don't want to hear about someone else's dream. Like, it didn't happen. I'm, don't tell me, right? And nature is very repetitive. It doesn't really evolve. It's just sort of the same all the time. But, but it's also something that's much so above art. So I don't try and, I, I, I don't be so let's use the word again grandiose to bring like a tree into my work and I don't mean painting a tree but some people actually like when people hang shit off trees or use that I'm like what no it's the, the tree's done the tree's finished it looks great leave it alone you know or what's another example sometimes people you know they'll see a photograph and they you should paint this I'm like why would I paint it it's such a great photograph it's done and so I have that sometimes. That it, I think the only thing I'm thinking when I want to make something is to try and show what's not being shown, what I see. You know, that's not that's not there. So it's a saying that I I got from my acting coach, which is to make the ordinary extraordinary. Mm. Mm. That's it. and yeah. So and those dresses. You know, those, like the things like the costumes I collect, not everyone's interested in those, you know, it's kind of, some people think they're remarkable, but so that they are fun for me to paint, but they're also just, they don't, I don't need to really. I just like to look at them. (laughs) It's a great place to switch gears and talk about what is going on in your life these days we talked a little bit also got a little head start on what you're currently obsessed with and i would love for you to elaborate on each okay you talked about the fact that you are obsessed with pants all kinds is there a pair that you are wearing the most right now (laughs) (laughs) stupid thing that i said Um, i'm obsessed with pants i think I, i probably said that that day because I I didn't wear a lot of dresses this summer, and I'm usually I like to wear dresses. I'm a dress person. Pants are for the utilitarian. 
but this summer I wore a lot of pants and I was really getting into this sort of mass, my, my more masculine side, yeah. which I liked. I also don't believe in heels with pants because from wearing pants, it's like Marilyn Monroe wearing pants, right? That's what I want to do. She's in pants. It's because she's like playing a high schooler in wearing like kids and a sweater, you know, it's, um, or she's going hiking. I don't know. Or she's going for a picnic. Right. But right. I'm not going to an event in jeans ever. Pants I'm wearing right now, I think I got, there's a lot of stoop sales in my neighborhood. And I think I got there just like boys, Ralph Lauren, like teen boys pants, like a good gabardine material. And what else did I say? Well, you talked also about sort of how taking care of yourself is a, an obsession. Brushing my teeth, taking the dumb vitamins, because I'm at the age where I can't dismiss that validity anymore. Mm, yeah. Okay. What vitamins do you take? I think I said vitamins, but I think I meant meds. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on meds for so long that like, that was um the, when I was a teenager taking meds, I just didn't. There were days where I'd skip it and it was like not a big, I just, I'm like, oh, so what? And now I know that you can't do that, you know? So I, I don't know why. There's just areas of my life where I just have not, that I took me a while to get to, like. To tackle, to, to like. Yeah, you know, like I, I, I try to get, oh, my sister's calling me. Nope, Sandy Boysen. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Um, yeah, I, I like getting up in the morning sometimes I wake I sit up so fast and I just get out of bed and I go straight to like making breakfast and now I, I've noticed that getting ready for the morning is actually can really like help you for the day it's not a novel thing I'm saying I think it's so true and I think that's something that I definitely did not really realize for quite some time one of the other things you said that was sort of like on your list of what you're doing right now is that you're prioritizing enjoying your kids rather than just staying on top of their needs and their obligations. Yeah. And I think that's sort of the same as like trying to take a moment to like start the morning. Yeah. Not rush into the morning. Is that the New Yorkers in us? Is that is that what that is? No, it's more like uh, the I want to get the kids out of the house kind of thing or uh -huh. I don't want to be the late mother again. But the mornings are one thing. I have you know, since becoming a single parent, you know, I can't manage everything. So it sucks. But at some point in the process, I had to like allow things to not be perfect because I just couldn't manage all of it. And so I, um, instead, I, there are times where I actually have to stop and think, am I going to do these dishes? Does it matter? Or am I going to go hang with the kids? And I'll choose time with the kids. Or sometimes it's not even a choice like that. It just happens because they're older now and they get my jokes. And we watch any all kinds of movies. They can watch pretty much anything. I mean, I'll draw a line at like some horror movies, like the shock ones. Right. But yeah, they can hang. You know, like I take them out. I take them places with me, you know. So great. So great to be at that. Mm -hmm. When it comes to beauty, Jemima, you said you love Chanel makeup only. I, is there a favorite Chanel red lipstick? You know, people ask me about lipstick all the time because I wear it so much. Well, because you wear it so well. I do wear it a lot. But I, and they're like, what color is that? It's like four different colors or 14 different colors because I'm almost never taking it off. I mean, at night I take it off, but it's always stained. And 
I have like four different lipsticks in my bag and then two on my kitchen sink. And so it's just changing all day. Do you have any favorite colors? Well, Hermes makes a great, I think it's called Rose Boise. And it's a super matte brown plum-ish color. It's really nice. It's good to know. I bought some Hermes lip gloss and I thought it was okay, but lipstick. No, they're very matte, which is what I like. I love that too. But they're not that kind of lipstick on your lip forever you know you also talked about rosary 92 skincare i know nothing about that. yeah tell me anything everything it's a small company um that makes one amazing face spray that just i mean who doesn't fucking love a face spray but you know i i used to love the mario badescu one but this um rosary 92 one is just like smells like something like i think it's got like camellia in it or something it's just like even somehow some products are just more refreshing than others and they have an oil that's you know the lightest oil I've ever had on my face and I worry about using oil over lotion sometimes or moisturizer but this one definitely doesn't make you shiny at all it's the strangest thing when we talked about cooking, you talked about the fact that you were really into ice cream. Your kids love to eat ice cream in the mornings. I don't know if that's still... They love to eat ice cream anytime. So do I. Are you making your own ice cream? Yeah, we've made our own ice cream. We were making our own ice cream. What flavor? That's amazing. Uh, we did uh, like a mint chocolate chip. We've done, we've done all of them. I mean, once you get the machine, you just throw the stuff in. I love it. Yeah. I mean, the other day... I put an ice cream cake in the fridge by accident, not the freezer. And in the morning, it was all over the fridge. And me and my kids took spoons and just ate it off the the fridge. Out of the fridge. It was great. Okay. Two two more. You said that you have been watching the same movies on repeat. That's the favorite thing to do. I was wondering what you've kind of transitioned to now that we're in September. It's fall. Is there... You have a couple of movies on repeat right now? I'm not now because when we spoke, I was teaching a class, so I was watching movies on repeat. Yes, which I did do. I now I love doing, but I I haven't been doing that lately. I've just been watching. You know, I've been rewatching movies that I've seen already, mm-hmm. and as the ones like classics that I can say I've seen, but I can't really remember them. So last night I watched Four Hundred Blows. You know, like seen it, but I can't really remember it. All the French films you know um can't really recall you know exactly what happened or like Cleo from five to seven the Agnes Varda movie I I remember it but like it's worth seeing again if it was if it's good you know and then we talked a little bit about this earlier you said that you're loving magazines right now and that you're a collector of magazines is there a magazine or something that you're gravitating toward that you keep finding inspiration in? Yeah, it's it's a catalog called, I'm like old shopping catalogs right now. From which era? 50s, 40s. Wow. Like House and Garden, it's always great. But let me find this catalog. Montgomery Ward. Oh, yes. Oh, so really good one. Yeah. That's- and uh, then, oh, my other favorite thing, a flower gardening catalogs. Mm-hmm. They're so beautiful. Well, even the ones from like now, the photos of the flowers are so pretty. Love that. Jemima, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for our cover story. We love it so much. That was a fun day in Coney Island. Thank you so much. <laughs>